Yeah, super fun. Uh, you know, uh, again, you're going to hear a little bit more about this next week, but uh, God has really made it uh, clear to us as a church on some, some things that we need to be doing with our mission. And so whether we send uh, people to Denver Rescue Mission or to Uganda, Rwanda, uh, Juarez, you name it, um, we are called to go out, to go with this uh, unbelievable uh, message. And this morning, uh, I'm, not, I'm not just giving you a message, I'm giving you the greatest message. Um, not greatest in the sense of my delivery, but the content of what God gives us in His Scriptures. I'm so excited for you to receive this. We've been in a series, if you're new around here, we've been in this series on basically how to kill your joy at Christmas time. Super uh, uplifting and encouraging. Uh, we, we've been looking at things like busyness and discontentment and selfishness and all of these things that just rob us and kill us of joy. Uh, and, and it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. We sing that song and we're supposed to, you know, pull party poppers and have this great time. And yet, some of you, I won't ask you to come up in here and share, some of you Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and maybe the day after robbed you of joy. You weren't joyful. You were pretty annoyed or depressed or sad or whatever have you. On Christmas Eve, we talked about the ultimate joy. And that is from Galatians 4.4 that when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. That is the ultimate joy. And this morning, we're looking at how do we sustain that as we get ready to launch into 2019? How do you sustain some form of joy? Because here's the reality, life is going to hit you in the coming weeks, the coming months this year. There's going to be busyness, there's going to be selfishness, there's going to be discontentment. All of these things are going to hit you along with other things, tragedies, crises, bad moments, bad times in your marriage, bad times with your kids, struggling with finances. Those things, not to be a bearer of bad news, those things are coming. So how do we, as followers of Jesus, those who are trying to take the next step in becoming more fully devoted, how do we sustain our joy? And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And this is why it's so important, because if the Lord is your strength, we talk about that a lot as followers of Jesus, then maintaining that joy, if joy is your strength, then we have to figure out how to sustain that joy throughout our everyday lives. And I want to suggest to you that every follower of Jesus can maintain that joy in part by looking at principles found in David's psalm in Psalm 37. So I'd love for you to open your Bibles. If you, if you have a Bible, great. If not, there's a black hardcover Bible in the seat in front of you, or you can turn on your device uh, to Psalm 37. David writes this psalm as an old man. Uh, Gary joked about not being old. Uh, David at this point is really old. And uh, at this point, the temple has been built. He has uh, given his finances, his entire self-worth, all of his savings account, his 401k, everything he has to go towards God's kingdom being grown. And now he's reflecting as an old man after all of his mistakes, and we know that there are few, after all of his successes, after all of his encounters with God, now he's reflecting on life. 
Kind of be like you sit down with your grandpa, or if you're a grandma and grandpa in this room, uh, people sit down with you, and they say, all right, man, you've learned a lot. Like, tell me about life. This is David. He's sharing about what is life. And so we get to Psalm 37, starting at verse 3, and I'd like us to read this together. That means aloud, okay? So let's start right at the beginning. Ready? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will do this. Principle number one on how to sustain your joy. And and basically what I want you to do is I want you to think very, very uh, kind of theologically, biblically, relationally with God. But I also really want to encourage you to think very, very practically. In other words, if I give you this first principle, trust in the Lord, I want you to think, okay, where is that most difficult for me? To trust in the Lord. I want you to think in the context of your world, your life. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. We can look at Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. You know, sometimes we say, well, Jesus is most important. Jesus leads us. Jesus, it all begins with Jesus, all flowing through Jesus. But what does it exactly mean? Well, the scriptures make it clear that the message, and the message is hope, The message is God came to save and to redeem, to make us sons and daughters of God, to to bring us into a new family. And it says that the message is heard through the word of Christ, through the person of Jesus Christ. The word faith is pistis, means a conviction. Faith is a conviction or an assurance or a persuasion. Sometimes we can think, oh, faith is just, I believe. I believe that this stool is going to hold my water. It's not going to break. And yet the, the Bible makes it clear that faith is, is really a conviction, an, an assurance, and a persuasion. Scholars hearing, uh, describing the word healing, hearing is, is not the way we think of it. You're hearing me right now. And yet biblical scholars, as the word is used in the Bible, the idea of hearing was not just to hear with your ears, a a physical experience, but that which comes from an experience. This is why a lot of young people will, will grow up in the church, they will graduate high school, maybe stick around for college, and then after college they bolt. Because so much has been taught, you have heard from the pastor or from the church, but there hasn't been an experience. You haven't experienced God. Now, I'm not talking about Miranda. Praise God, Miranda is back home. Miranda is here. Miranda experienced God in program, in mission, but she also experienced God in a way that cannot be described. And where that is absent, there's a disconnect. And if there's a disconnect, our joy is kind of on a bell curve. It just comes and goes, depending on what's going on in life. In other words, Romans tells us that experiencing the Word of God, that is Christ Himself, pours faith 
into your life. And therefore, joy follows. There's two words that help us understand this a little bit. There's logos and rhema. Two very, very different words. Logos is a general word, a principle, a command for everyone. This would be similar to the Ten Commandments that are given. It would be the Scriptures. It would be, hey, here's a general word to all of you. Don't murder. Don't hurt someone. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Very, very general. And then there's rhema. Rhema is a private word. It's something that is spoken to you. It's a particular word, a secret whispered word that denotes this idea of intimacy. It's special between the giver and the receiver. And often where there's one and not the other, there's a disconnect. There's something that cannot be sustained. And as growing followers of Jesus, we have to have both. We cannot only hear the general and not have the rhema. It is critical for us to sustain our life in Christ. This is how we sustain ourselves. And here's the idea. The partnership between the Logos and the Word of God, that which defines and establishes truth. In a world that says what's true for you is true for you. What, what, what works for you works for you. No one's going to tell you how you should think. As followers of Jesus, we believe something different, that the Logos, the Word of God, that which defines and then establishes and maintains ultimate truth, that combined with rhema, that private word that God whispers to you in secret, that combination allows the follower of Jesus to receive what what I've been thinking about is this slow drizzle just tiny drops, slowly drizzled. And what's being drizzled is conviction and assurance. But it's a slow drizzle. It's not a dumping. It's not a pouring. And as those things are drizzled, the result is joy and faith. It's both. It's both the general and it's the special. Any couple in this room, whether you're dating, married, you've been married forever, married this year, any couple in this room would realize and and get behind this statement is that there is no true relationship where there's no true communication. You don't have a relationship if you don't communicate. For some of you, that's hard to hear right now because you're in your marriage and you're not communicating very well, and therefore you don't have a good marriage. It's the same thing with God. You don't communicate with God. You don't interact. You don't hear that special word from God. You will not have that special relationship with God. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about whether you're saved, you're going to go to heaven or not. I'm talking about just that daily walk with God. That's something special that carries you in your joy. That no matter what happens in your life, you still have joy because of this general and special And where there is intimate communication, and you know this in your relationships, there's trust. Where there is no intimate communication, there isn't trust. And you see, God has prepared a way for us to take a step in our relationship with Him. Something happens within a person, within you, within me, when we read or hear and interact with the Scriptures. 
faith is increased because God is unveiling himself to us. Think about that for a moment. The God of all creation that perfectly understands all of heaven and hell and how sin works and how forgiveness works in everyday life, that God wants to unveil himself to you. Not in a general sense, to be sure we do that here, but that he wants to unveil himself very personally, very relationally to you. Knowing full well the things you've done, the things you do, the things you are doing. It doesn't stop. Friends, that's the greatest message in the world. Because God could blink his eyes and we could fall to the ground and disappear. But he doesn't. Faith is increased because God is unveiling himself. But it's a two-way street. They're not cheering for me. Last year, I, I went to several of my friends back in California where Sandy and I spent 20 years of marriage um, and ministry. And I went to several of my friends and said, hey, I've moved. I'm in Colorado now. What do you need in our friendship? Kind of a touchy-feely guy thing to do. And several of them kind of responded in that way like, Dude, I don't need anything from you, you weirdo. Uh, a few others were like, ah, just send me a text here and there. You know, let's just stay in touch. You know, the general, hey, let's just stay in touch. And I had one friend, Jim Kenny, and Jim listens on a regular basis. So, Jim, you just big bear of a guy. Jim said, hey, here's what I need. I need to talk once a month. I don't, I don't need a text. I don't need an email. I don't need to follow you on Instagram. I need to actually talk with you. That's what I need for our friendship. And Jim is much better at that than I am. You guys ever, uh, some of you not good at that, staying in touch with friends? Thank you for your honesty. So Jim is really good. Uh, he'll call me on a regular basis, and unfortunately, I'm busy a lot, so I can't answer the phone, and he'll say, hey, I just haven't talked to you for a while, or, or he'll do it more guilting. And, and I just wanted to, you know, give you a call, give you a call Faith is furthered, your joy is furthered by ongoing communication and your trust in the Lord. That's how it's sustained. And so when life hits you this coming year and you go, okay, I'm to trust in the Lord, you can't trust if there's not that intimacy. You can't have that intimacy if there isn't communication. And so uh, a very practical way is hit the brakes, pump the brakes, and evaluate. You can not only do that for your relationship with God, but you can do it in your relationship with your loved ones. Remember, David is saying our relationship with God is based largely on communication. And I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you recently heard a rhema from God lately? Or is it all general? Have you heard a direct word from God 
your relationship with God? Or is it all general? Is it all just based on a church or a sermon that you listen to? A personal word. One that you can base your life, your, your steps, your, your next journey on. That, that can carry you and sustain you. Captivate your soul and, and fortify your, your assurance. Have you, have you heard that? Because without that rhema, with, without that personalness, you're going to struggle not just in faith, but you're going to struggle in joy. Because God never meant it to just be a general thing, a general religion, just something that everyone else is doing. He, he always intended for it to be both. And David screams out to us in Psalm 37, trust in the Lord. Principle number two, delight in the Lord. How do we sustain our joy into this new year? We trust in the Lord no matter what life throws at us. Number two, we delight in the Lord. Uh, 37 verse 4, take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. As a whole, we don't do this very well. We delight in a lot of things. I delight in a deep dish pizza. I delight in, in spending time with friends. I, I delight in a good movie. I delight when my house is quiet and no one's fighting. I delight in stillness. But we delight, but we don't often dominate our heart by delighting in the Lord. And again, you might be sitting here going, well, okay, that sounds awfully churchy. That sounds very religious. I don't even know what you're even talking about. Like, how am I supposed to delight on the Lord? I can't even see the Lord. And does that mean I just need to go into like some, you know, monastery and sit in the room and, and chant? Is, is that how I'm supposed to delight in the Lord? I want to refer you to Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. The disciples, his friends, the people around him are discussing what they're going to eat and drink and wear. A very serious conversation. You had to decide what you're wearing today. Some of you gave it a lot of thought. Others of you... Just did it. And Jesus says, do not take thought of these things. Now, what's he not saying? Thought, this, this word marizo, this idea of thought, actually means to divide, to disrupt, and to be anxious. Some of you have struggled with anxiety. He says, don't think about these things. Now, Jesus isn't an idiot. He knows we need to eat and drink and, and get dressed. He knows those things. So don't, don't take Scripture and just twist it. What he's saying is, don't get so caught up into it so that you are divided and anxious and troubled. Put thought into it. But when it crosses the line to a preoccupation, we are prone to be led astray. When it becomes too much... And our delight becomes in other things. In church history, uh, many, many, many with, I, I will advocate on their behalf, rather good ambitions have wrongly preached, get rid of the desires of the world. I, I don't think that's what the Bible's saying. I don't think that's God's desire. I think there's so much in this world that really has nothing to do with his character or the Bible that God loves. He's not anti-social media. He's not anti-your phone. He's not anti-video games. He's not anti-movies. 
But what God says in his scriptures is when you cross the line and your delight is in those things, that is shaky ground. Not because they're evil, because they're not sustainable. He goes on to say, but seek ye first. First is this word proton. It means first in line. And not just first in line, first in time. And there we have to wrestle. The kingdom. And then all of these things will be added unto you. If you seek me first, if you put me in line first, if you put me in your time first, all of these things will be added unto you. And as Christians, we often clog up God's pipeline of his abundance, of of what he wants to pour out to us because we fail to prioritize him in our lives. We do. Culture, contrary to Scripture, says don't make God number one because there's more. Some of you know this guy. Anybody not know who this is? Raise your hand, be honest. He's our new intern. (laughs) This is Mick Jagger from the Stones. Interesting looking fellow. He made famous the song, I Can't Get No. Brilliant. Brilliantly written, both from a musical standpoint, but also lyrics, but also theology. When we pour our delight into the world, we can't get no satisfaction. When we open up the computer and we allow the computer to feed our minds of images and videos, it might feel good in the moment, but there is no satisfaction. When we take and consume that liquid or that substance, it might feel good in the moment, but there is no satisfaction. When we work our tails off to earn the extra dollar or to get that promotion or to make sure we're liked or to post something where there's even more likes, we can't get no satisfaction. When that becomes our delight, when that becomes our focus, something is off kilter and our joy cannot be sustained any longer. Mick Jagger's brilliant. The world, its riches, its honor, its fame, its success, it will all end in a way that doesn't satisfy. And we're all prone to it. Every single one of us in this room, and if you're listening online, we are all prone to things to delight in that aren't of God. The model just wants to look a little prettier. The billionaire just wants to earn one more dollar. The athlete wants to run just a little faster or get a little stronger. The salesman wants one more sale. The parent wants their kids to behave a little bit better. The married couple wants a little bit more intimacy because that will sustain me. But Jesus comes and he says, 
I will be enough. I will be your satisfaction. You trust in me, you delight in me. He says this to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, verse 13. Whoever drinks of this water as he stands before her, he shouldn't even be speaking to her. Whoever drinks of this water, that person's going to thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give shall never thirst. Again, Jesus isn't an idiot. An idiot. He knows if you go for a run, you're going to be thirsty. But he also knows if you take delight in the things of this world, in the things that aren't of heaven, you are going to thirst. You you are going to lay down at night as your head hits the pillow, and there's going to be a desire to want more. Okay, Brian, does that mean I don't invest in my kids? Does that mean I don't want the best for my marriage? Does that mean I don't pursue the great things of work? No. But what occupies you? What occupies the priorities? You see, to delight in the Lord, the Scripture says, is to delight in God Himself. And then, He is your joy. Because you're strengthened. And your strength is found in your joy. It all works together. Principle number three. Chapter 37, verse 5 we're told to commit our ways to the Lord. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do this. Commit your works unto God, your journey in your life unto God, all of your tasks, your business life, your relationships, everything within you. Commit to Him. I know in my life, The areas where I don't fully commit, the areas where I don't fully trust, the areas where I don't fully delight, those are areas where I don't have joy. And you're probably similar, at least in part. The ancients, they used a camel to help with this metaphor, this idea. Before travel, a a camel would come and, and lay down until its load was rolled up onto the camel. Now, we know this, the load does not belong to the camel, correct? No camel owns a sleeping bag. No camel owns water or food. And yet, that bounty would be rolled up onto the camel, the camel would raise and begin to walk carrying the load. Make no mistake about it. Your financial problems, your marital problems, your relational problems, your work problems, anything that comes your way, they aren't God's. They're yours. But God promises to carry those. Don't make the mistake of of going before God in prayer and going, not my problem, it's yours, Lord. Not quite sure that's right. It's your problem. The Lord just promises to walk with you and to be one who lays down, in fact, lays down on the cross to carry your problems, to carry your sin, to carry in ways you have no ability to do so. You could work your tail off for the rest of your life. You can't carry your stuff. 
The load belongs to man, and yet the camel bears the load for him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says this, Cast all of your cares upon him, for he cares for you. God cares for you. In, in the deepest, most personal, most difficult ways, God cares for you. You're a kid in this room and school's hard. God cares about that. You have teen drama. God doesn't get annoyed. He cares about that. You have a struggle in your marriage. You're trying to figure out communication. God doesn't say figure it out. He cares about that. And, and he's willing to carry the load. Unfortunately, our response often is, I got it. And we really don't. My ways, my concerns, my stresses, my busyness is not mine to care for. His word to us is, don't worry about it. Don't lose sleep over this. I got you. For someone in this room, you need to hear, God's got you. And I hope you're hearing that very clearly. And the Bible says it will work out for you, so commit your ways to the Lord. There's so much more that we could unpack with this psalm. So much more that we could unpack with, with what David's heart is for us and, and therefore what God's heart is for us. But I began by telling you it's the most amazing gift in the world to us, this message. Because no matter what life throws at you this year, you can take these principles and apply them. Now, the onus is on you. God is willing to take you as deep as you're willing to go, but he's not going to force you. If you choose to struggle on your own, if you choose to struggle in your joy, if you choose to struggle in faith and not apply the principles found in the scriptures, then that's on you. The minute you realize your fault, he's there to help you. But if you're here today and you're like, man, I want this to be a different year. I, I don't want to repeat 2018. In fact, I want to even go farther. I want to go deeper. I want to go stronger. I want my faith and my joy to be beyond my wildest imagination. I want to encourage you with these three principles. Number one, trust in the Lord. Have faith in Him. Surround your with, yourself with, with people who are going to have faith in Him. And they're going to help you trust Him. Don't surround yourself with naysayers. Don't, don't surround yourself with those who are pessimistic. Don't surround yourself with people who are going to lead you in a different direction. Surround yourself with people who are thinking like you. And have faith in Him. Number two, make God your delight. For some of you, you're going to have to work pretty hard on this one. Make God your delight. Place Him and Him alone as the priority in your life. Surround yourself with people who are also going to make Him your delight. Surround yourself with people that are going to pursue just countless praises that you cannot but speak of your delight in God. And finally, commit your ways to the Lord. Roll up all of your burdens 
and let him carry. And I want to promise you that if you commit these three elements of David's psalm to your everyday life, you are in for one heck of a journey. You are not in for the same journey of 2018. You will experience something you've never experienced before, and it's going to be a lot of work. The great thing is we'll do it together, and we'll encourage each other, we'll support each other, and we'll take steps together. So my encouragement is as we go into worship, as the team continues to lead us, uh, would you... I want you to ask for a rhema. We're going to sing a general song and we're all going to sing the same words, but would you ask for a rhema? Would you ask for a, a very personal word that's only whispered to you? God loves to give them. And it's the most amazing thing when he does. And that will help you sustain your joy. Let's pray together. So God, we are <laughs> we are super excited for this new year. Maybe not excited for what it will throw at us, but we're excited because you promised to walk with us. You promised to um, go on this journey with us. And so our prayer is that, that we would take these principles and apply them in everyday life, whether we have to put them on all the mirrors in our home, on our fridge. They're not my words. They're not even my ideas. They're your ideas. Thank you for using David as an old man to give us his wisdom as he reflects on life. And as we get ready to worship, and then scatter and go about our day, would you please, we humbly ask, would you give us a personal word for our lives? Maybe that's a conviction, maybe that's a step, maybe that's encouragement, but we really do need it. And so we enter into your courts with praises and songs. We pray this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus.